Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the very first podcast from Pediatric Research. I'm Charlotte Stoddart and every two months I'll be talking to the people behind the research that's published in the journal. On this inaugural show, McGill University duo Suzanne King and Kelsey Donkos explain how Project Ice Storm is helping them understand the effects of prenatal stress. In January 1998, a severe ice storm hit the Canadian province of Quebec. The storm caused extensive damage and many families were without electricity for up to six weeks during the coldest period of the year. It was a stressful time for everyone, but for pregnant women, the hardships they endured in the weeks after the storm may have long-term consequences for their children. We know that stress during pregnancy can affect children's growth and development, and some studies suggest that it might also increase children's risk for obesity. To test this idea and others, Suzanne and Kelsey have been following the ice storm women and their children. Kelsey, first of all, tell us why you thought prenatal stress might increase obesity risk in children, because those two things aren't obviously linked. No, they're not. But we've seen a number of animal studies showing that, for example, rats or monkeys exposed to prenatal maternal stress weigh more as adults, or they might have more body fat, compared to animals that are not exposed to prenatal maternal stress. So we thought this might be true for humans as well. And there are a few human studies that would suggest this is true. We've seen some studies showing that suffering stressful life events during pregnancy such as the death of a close family member, is associated with um, increased risk of overweight in childhood. So we wanted to test the same thing in Project Ice Storm. Okay, Suzanne then, um, let's start with the ice storm. You were actually in Quebec in 1998 when the storm hit. What was it like? Was it indeed very stressful? Yes, it was stressful in my family. We were without electricity for seven days. And after the first few days, it was no longer um, fun, and we started to wonder how long would this go on for. And uh, even though the temperatures are close to zero during an ice storm, uh, the temperatures here in Montreal drop down to minus 10, minus 20 in the weeks afterwards. And uh, one of the things that I noticed in myself was even a week after our electricity came back on, I was uh, giving blood at a local clinic, and my blood pressure, which is usually 90 over 60, was 140 over 110. And that made me think, ah, that must be stress. And 
because of the research I was doing at the time, I was very interested in stress in pregnant women. So I thought that this would be an excellent opportunity to look prospectively at stress in pregnancy in a way that had not been done before in humans and to see what are the immediate and short-term effects of that. I'm imagining you hunkered down with your family with lots of blankets designing this study. (laughs) It wasn't quite like that. I did find um, that I was taking care mostly of my mother-in-law on the other side of town. So I was going back and forth to check on our house and to empty the sump pump and to look for um, batteries and clean water and cooking fuel. But, uh, yeah, for a lot of people, there was hunkering down with blankets and candles. And This is building a nice picture for us of the kind of stresses that pregnant women must have been enduring during this time. So tell us exactly what you did in the study to investigate prenatal stress. Right. So I acted fairly quickly to put a, a, a protocol together. And we identified a a large number of doctors in the most affected region uh, southeast of Montreal who could identify for us the patients that they had who were pregnant during the ice storm. And then we sent out questionnaires to these women to find out what was going on. So we didn't actually send the questionnaires until June. And in those questionnaires were items that would tap into objectively, you know, what were the facts about what happened to them? So how many days without electricity? How many days without telephone? What were their losses in terms of financial loss, damage to their home or their property? What about change? Because change can be very stressful. How many times did they move house um, to be able to stay warm? Was the family able to stay together and so on? So we sent out this questionnaire, which also included questions about how subjectively distressed the women were still in June about what had happened in January. In these, um, in these first questionnaires you sent out, importantly, you were trying to tease apart the objective hardship faced by these women from their subjective distress. Exactly. Because these, uh, a lot of these studies on prenatal maternal stress, um, Dr. Dan Coase mentioned uh, a study of the, the death of, of the woman's husband during pregnancy, but that doesn't happen very often. So most of the research on prenatal stress is looking at daily life events, um, like losing your job or having a fight or being separated. And so it's, it's very hard to know exactly what is the active ingredient in these events. And so what we wanted to do is to tease apart, well, what is the active ingredient if we see an association between uh, exposure to an event during pregnancy and outcomes in the child? Is it specifically what happened to the women or is it how distressed they were? And because the women in this group, they had to live with power cuts for for differing numbers of weeks, for example, so that's kind of a differing objective hardship that enabled you to really tease these two things apart. Is that right? Exactly. So we could see is there what we call a dose-response relationship. So as the number of days without electricity increased, do we see uh, also an increase in whatever outcome that we're looking at? And in fact, if I had to pick one one item out of our questionnaire that has the most power to predict outcomes in the children, it would be the number of days without electricity. 
Right. So let's talk about the children now, because you've been following them from birth as they've grown up, haven't you? Yes. We sent our first questionnaire when the children were six months of age, and so the mothers were telling us how the baby was doing. At the age of two, we brought in a, a relatively small number of the, the infants to, to the university and tested their, their cognitive development to get a measure of their IQ and also of their language. Uh, then we saw the children again at age five and a half, which is what we're reporting on here. And for most of the ages, we've been looking at their cognitive development, their physical development, their behavior, like their anxiety and depression, and also their motor development. So we did that at five and a half, at eight and a half, and at 11 and a half. And now as the children are turning 13 and a half, we're testing them again uh, and looking at how they're reacting to stress themselves. Kelsey, tell me, when did you get involved in Project Ice Storm? I started working on Project Ice Storm about two years ago. Um, I have training in biological anthropology, and so I really uh, do a lot of studies of growth and development. And I talked with Suzanne, and there were data available on the children's growth patterns in Project Ice Storm. So that's why I became involved. Suzanne mentioned that this paper that we're talking about today, the one published in Pediatric Research, it's about the study you did on the children at age five and a half. What did you find? What are you reporting in this paper? Well, we had 111 kids in this group uh, for whom we had complete data, and we found that nine of the kids were obese, so that's about 8.1%. And of those kids, eight of them had high exposure to to object of stress from the ice storm. And one of them was in the low exposure group. So if we divide the group in half, those with the highest level of exposure compared to those with the lowest level, eight of the kids with obesity were in the high stress group. So you're finding that um, greater maternal hardship, so more weeks without electricity, say, is predictive of a greater risk of obesity in those children? Yes. How great, how significant are these effects? We found that risk was increased by about 40% for each point on the objective stress scale. So, for example, staying in a temporary shelter is one point on the scale, or spending up to one week away from home, or having no electricity for one to two weeks. Each of these things would be associated with a 40% increase in risk. There must be other factors that increase a child's risk for obesity. I don't know, birth, weight, things like that. Um, How did you deal with those other factors? We controlled for a number of factors in our analyses. So you're right, there are a, a number of characteristics of the mother and of the child that could increase risk for obesity. Um, For example, socioeconomic status, or as you mentioned, the size of the child at birth, um, smoking in the mother or the mother's own body weight or her height. We controlled for all of these things in our analyses, uh, and we still see the effect of objective hardship on obesity risk. How about the mother's subjective distress? So how stressed she felt during the pregnancy? Was that also linked with increased risk? No, in this study it was not um, associated with risk of obesity. It has been in other studies, uh, but that depends on the outcome because subjective distress might have different mechanisms than objective hardship. So we might expect that they would impact outcomes differently. So Suzanne, were you surprised by that finding? 
Um, I've been surprised by all of the findings in Project Ice Storm. Although the the ice storm was uh, certainly a stressful experience, it was not it was not a life threatening experience like we've seen with uh, tsunamis and earthquakes and uh, flooding or 9/11. And so I was very surprised that uh, we have found really significant results uh, anywhere. And yet we have found significant results in every aspect of development that we have looked at. And in addition, these findings, these results, have endured across the first 11 years of these children's lives. So as well as obesity, what else have you been looking at? We look at uh, cognitive development, so like IQ, memory, language skills, and we're finding a very large effect of especially objective stress on IQ over the various ages. So, for example, children in in the high objective stress group uh, might have an IQ that is uh, 10 to 15 points lower than the average for children in, in the low objective stress group. So that's been very surprising. We've also looked um, at behavioral development, so anxiety, depression, uh, aggressiveness in the children. And this is where both the objective stress that the women endured plus the women's own subjective distress, they play together almost equally in um, influencing the children's behavior. We've also found that children who were exposed to the ice storm later in the pregnancy, so during the third trimester, that they were especially vulnerable to stress in terms of their motor development, less coordination, less ability to reproduce a drawing uh, on paper. And also we found effects on physical development. And it's really these effects on physical development, like on the development of the fingerprints there, uh, we see an effect on the symmetry of the fingerprints that kind of underscores that we really are onto something. This is not simply uh, women who are reporting about their children in specific ways because they were stressed. We really are seeing effects um, laid down on the very physical nature of the children. Of course, we can't prevent natural disasters. We can't prevent all stresses on pregnant women. Are there any lessons that we can learn from this? Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do? That's That really is the holy grail. And I think in order to understand what we might be able to do to prevent uh, any negative effects of prenatal stress, we need to better understand biologically how does... Um, how does the woman's experience, for example, of being without electricity, how does that get translated to the fetus if it's not by her level of stress and her stress hormones? Because that's the, that's the going understanding of how this works, is that the mom has a bad experience, her stress hormones kick in, those stress hormones uh, will break through the barrier that is usually there in the placenta, the stress hormones reach the fetus and disrupt whatever system happens to be in development at that point in time, and that that's why we see the effects. But there's nothing that w- would explain why the mom's objective hardship would have an effect on the fetus if not by her subjective distress and her stress hormone. Because I, I'm finding it hard to imagine how these hardships experienced by the mothers during pregnancy 
leads to increased risk of obesity. We have a very difficult time explaining exactly why. One thing that's important to understand also is that even though we might see some of these effects like obesity um, as being a negative outcome, it might actually be the body's way of trying to protect the unborn child. So if the unborn child is getting somehow the message from the, the, the mother that life is difficult in the outside world, that fetus may be programmed to hang on to whatever nutrients it gets. And so although it seems like a, a negative outcome to, to have obesity in the children, it may be a logical reaction on the part of the fetus to develop a physiology that hangs on to whatever nutrients it can. It sounds like Project Ice Storm has given you this wonderful opportunity to study prenatal stress. Do you have any other studies ongoing that are also helping you to investigate this subject? Yes, we do. We have two other studies of uh, pregnant women who went through uh, natural disasters. Uh, the first one was in uh, the state of Iowa in the United States. They had uh, 100-year floods in uh, June of 2008. And what that study adds to what we have with Project Ice Storm is that we were able to piggyback our study of the exposure to the flooding on top of a study of pregnant women that was already ongoing before the floods. So one thing that we cannot do in Project Ice Storm is say, well, how anxious were these women before the ice storm came? But in the Iowa study, we can control for uh, how anxious were the women, what was their level of uh, psychopathology or their social support even before the floods happened. And then in January 2011, they had massive flooding in Queensland in Australia. And what that study offers is for 140 women, we have samples of their placenta and the umbilical cord that will allow us to look at, you know, what are the biological effects of objective hardship. From all of these studies, is there sort of a big picture that's emerging for you? That's an excellent question. Is there a big picture that's emerging for us? <laughs> Prenatal maternal stress is not a good thing. That's the big picture. Um, to be perfectly honest, we are running ourselves ragged just keeping these three studies going and developing. But I guess if we had to say that there's a big picture, it's that the big picture is very complicated, that objective stress and subjective distress seem to operate differently, and it depends on which outcome we're looking at. Also, that some of the results are very dependent upon when during the pregnancy the natural disaster occurred. Also, that while male fetuses seem to be um, especially vulnerable for some outcomes, and it's sometimes during the pregnancy, at other times it's, uh, it's the female, it's the girl who seems to be more vulnerable. It's going to take many years going out through this data to come up with uh, you know, exactly what is the big picture. Well, it's a fascinating field, and it sounds like um, there are going to be many, many more papers coming out of Project Ice Storm. Suzanne and Kelsey, thank you very much for talking to me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. 
Suzanne King and Kelsey Donkos from McGill University in Montreal, Canada. And you can read their paper in the January issue of Pediatric Research or online at nature.com forward slash PR. The journal publishes research on the etiologies of diseases of children and disorders of development extending from molecular biology to epidemiology. I'll be back in two months to talk to a couple more of the scientists behind that research. Until then, I'm Charlotte Stoddart. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.